Hi Krishna, welcome to Iskana Silicon Valley. This is a, a gathering we have every week specifically to introduce some of the basic philosophy and practices of Krishna consciousness so that anyone from any culture can come and begin a solid practice in spiritual life and uh, reap the benefits, which are numerous, because human form of life is especially meant for cultivating spiritual practice. So first of all, I offer my respectful obeisances to His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, my eternal spiritual master, and to my Param Guru and Param Param Guru, and to the whole disciplic succession, and to all of you, because you are Vaishnavas and therefore the most worshipable in the three worlds. This is a song by the... A saint, Naratam Das Thakur, about Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And in this song, well, isn't that a nice cover page with a picture of Naratam Das? So he, he, write, he wrote this simple song uh, to show the mood of approaching Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who's the guru for all in Kali Yuga who taught the process of devotional service, he came as a devotee so that we could emulate his processes and the way that he enacted devotional service. Because, as we all know, Krishna appeared 5,000 years ago and he made some fairly hefty demands. Surrender unto me, and I'll deliver you from all sinful reactions, but not many people did. So the Lord considered later, Anarpita charim chirat karuna yavatir nakalau samarapayitumunato jwararasam sabakti shriyam hari purata sundara duti kadamba sandipita sada he thought for a long time, I have not come and given special mercy to the people, perhaps ever. And wanting everyone to be able to take up the process as Krishna had given it in the Bhagavad Gita, he came as a devotee. Actually, as described in this verse, he appeared as the combination of Krishna and his eternal consort, Radharani. And as a devotee of himself, he showed the process. This is Acharya Lila, showing by example how to worship Krishna, especially in this Kali Yuga, during which people are very slow to take to spiritual life, which was mentioned even at the beginning of Kali Yuga, and that was 5,000 years ago. The sages at Naimasarnya mentioned 
Prayanal Parisha Shabya Kalavazmin Yugejana Manda Sumanda Matayo Manda Bhagya Hupadrutaha. People they're not very lucky in Kali Yuga. They're they're on, they fell on hard times. <laughs> and uh, Sumanda Matayo, they have really bad ideas. People get bad ideas in Kali Yuga. And they put a lot of energy into those bad ideas and like plastic straws, then and plastic in general hasn't worked out really well. And what? Fracking, you know, trying to soak as much oil out of the earth, causes earthquakes. I mean, we could go on forever. Just pick up a newspaper. There's a lot of really bad ideas. Human life really is meant, <clears throat> humans are meant to live in a more simplified environment so that they're not all the time distracted and they can focus on making spiritual advancement. Hare Krishna. And so they were thinking ahead, were these sages at Naimisharanya 5,000 years ago, how we'd bring benefit to people. And this is how Krishna thinks. And this is how the devotees of Krishna think. How can we bring the greatest good to as many people as possible? That's good work if you can get it. And so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, knowing that people in the age of Kali Yuga were slow to take to spiritual life and were at a major disadvantage, gave a dispensation, and that is by the simple process of chanting the Lord's names, that one could attain all perfection in this age. In fact, just to simplify everything, he said that, he quoted from the Briyat Narada Purana, as his guru had done for him, a verse that says that there's no other process for Kali Yuga except for the chanting of the holy name, so that makes it very simple. So Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna himself, but he's appearing as a devotee. He's also the combination of Radha and Krishna. Radha, Krishna, Pranaya, Vikratir, Ladini, Shakti, Rasmat, Ekat, Manav, Api, Bhuvi, Pura, Deha, Bedam, Gatao, Tao, Chaitanyakyam, Aruna, Tadvayam, Chaikyam, Aptam, Radha, Bhava, Duti, Suvalitam, Naomi, Krishna, Sarupam. At the beginning of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, you'll find Kaviraj Goswami des describes how. Um, <clears throat> Lord Chaitanya is Radha and Krishna, but now uh, Radha and Krishna are, are the eternal energetic and energy. Hare Krishna. Hare means Radha and Krishna means Krishna. But uh, now they've combined in the Kali Yuga. So we can remember that when, we're, when we see Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that he's actually Radha and Krishna combined. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Radha Krishna Nahi Anya. Ramananda Rai says that the form of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is a combined form of Radha and Krishna. And so he brought uh, the system of bhakti yoga, devotional service, and he taught it to his main disciples, especially you'll find in, the teachings to, in his teachings to Rupa Goswami and Sanatana Goswami. And then they wrote many books described how 
they were always engaged in uh, devotional activities. Nana Shastra Vicharanaika Nipunosa Dharma Samstapako, especially taking the instruction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to take all the relevant uh, scriptures of the world and put them into uh, a system, a system so that uh, people could follow it, follow the, the process of devotional service. And um, this is one of the ways in which we get the great benefit is following those who are uh, very advanced souls, some of whom just, they actually come from the spiritual world to teach bhakti in this world. And if we follow their instructions, the Srimad Bhagavatam says, then this following of the process that they teach is like getting on a boat that's capable of taking us across the ocean of birth and death. What we have to face uh, when we come into this world is described as an ocean, because oceans are a little daunting to cross. And one needs the wherewithal to, to come across the ocean. You can't swim across it, nor can you grab onto the tail of a dog and hope that he'll dog paddle his way over. In fact, that's mentioned by the author of the Chaitanya Charanamrita. And the, the metaphor he uses is that if you speculate and think that you can cross the ocean by yourself or by your own concocted ideas or the concocted ideas of, of a person who's attached to the world, then it's like grabbing on the tail of a dog and hoping that the dog will tow you across the ocean. That won't work, right? Say no. Yeah, just make sure. However, if one can identify the Mahajans, the great souls, those who have been directly empowered by God to teach us the process, by, by approaching that process, we're getting on the boat that can actually take us across the ocean of material existence. So the teachings of, of the followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu are perfectly suited for us in this age. And they wrote down all their conclusions after hearing from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and going through all the Shastras, Shastras means scriptures, they put together the, the most efficacious uh, process in a concise way so that everyone can follow, even right here in Silicon Valley. And I remember about 15 years ago, I was in the San Francisco airport. The airport authority had given us a little booth right in the middle of the international terminal, which used to be in the middle of the airport. And our booth was right in the middle of the middle of the airport. <laughs> and it was the perfect place from which to distribute books. In fact, we had cabinet tree there where we could just load up all our books. And we just come out there every day. We didn't even lock the cabinets. Nobody bothered it. Nobody really wants to steal spiritual books. In fact, my friend's car once got stolen and they took everything out, radio and the, the tape player and everything like that, but we had Bhagavad Gita's in the trunk. That's the only thing that we didn't claim on the insurance. <laughs> the only thing they left behind. Too bad for them. So I remember one day, I, 
I gave a, a nectar of instruction, which is one of the writings of Rupa Goswami, which gives instructions on how to practice devotional service. It's just in uh, 11, 11 verses, correct? 11, 11 simple verses that describe the, in, in a uh, summary form the whole process of devotional service. It's called the nectar of instruction. If you don't have one, you can see me afterwards. I'll get you fixed up. And uh, it, was a, it was a young student from Taiwan who had been visiting. He'd, he'd never heard of Hare Krishna or devotional service. What to speak of Rupa Goswami or Terakadamba, the little forest where Rupa Goswami sat and wrote this book. But uh, he, uh, he purchased it for $10 and he put it in his carry-on luggage and he walked onto the plane. And I was wondering at that time whether Rupa Goswami had envisioned a young man from Taiwan. I mean, did he know that there would be airports and there w we would be there? But I felt a kind of communion with him at that time, with Rupa Goswami, from passing on that literature to others. But that's specifically why he wrote the book, is just so that it could be passed on to other people. And so... If one wants to start practice in spiritual life, one can look to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, his followers, and their legacy, and this can be easily done by looking into the books they left behind, like the Nectar of Instruction, the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, then you have Teachings of Lord Chaitanya, which is a summary study of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, Nectar of Devotion, and there are several books that will give you the complete understanding of how to practice devotional service. And our founder, Acharya, who started the Krishna Consciousness Movement, recommended that everyone read these uh, particular books and get a good understanding for him or herself of how to practice. And then start up the practice according to what one can do at, a, at any given time. Now, there's a a mood that is helpful in cultivating devotional service, and that comes out in this song. So now we know who, who uh, Lord Goranga, that's another name for Lord Chaitanya, is, and uh, the mood of how to approach him and practice this system of devotional services is mentioned in this song. So I'll read the translations, and then we can try singing it together. It's a kind of a lively song. Would you like a lively song? Yes. Okay, let's read the translations. Oh, my dear Lord Goranga, please show your mercy to this lowly and destitute soul. Oh, Lord, there's no one more fallen than myself in all the three worlds. So this mood of feeling fallen is extremely helpful in devotional service. And... Destitute means I don't have anything. This is also in Sanskrit uh, rendered as akinshana, like I don't have anything. This is reality. We come into the world with nothing. Dare I say, we come into the world naked and we leave it naked, nothing. We don't have anything. And while I'm here, I get to play around with a few things. I have some stock of wealth, somewhere, on paper anyway. Uh, and I have 
perhaps a dwelling. I have family members. I have my little sports team. I can wave a flag and get all excited, say we won, even when we didn't play. Just watched others kick a ball around and so forth. And so the interim of our life is something we can examine and say, what do we really have? And if we carefully examine, we can say, I really don't have anything because I don't get to keep anything. So this, this is the meaning of destitute. So I'm, I'm helpless. And next he says, Holding grass between my teeth, O Gora, I am calling out to you now. Please be compassionate upon me and come to reside within the temple of my heart. So this idea of grass in the teeth, Madhavananda Prabhu explained several times while we were in Puri, is, is a tradition there in Orissa, where if someone has made some offense, they've done something egregious, and everybody knows about it, they put grass in their teeth and then they go door to door. And in going door to door in the village, they're begging for forgiveness. But when you have grass in your teeth, you can't make any excuses. Tendency is, I'm really sorry, it wasn't really my fault. The other guy did it, sun got in my eyes, dog ate my homework. There's all kinds of ideas about defending oneself. But this idea of grass in the teeth means I'm so willing to admit that I'm at fault. They just leave it at that. And I'm not even going to say anything. That's why I keep grass in my teeth. It's a sign of humility. No excuses. And also, in the last verse, it is said, please reside within the temple of my heart. The temple of my heart. So the body, Krishna describes in the Bhagavad Gita to be a city of nine gates. There's these openings we have. If you count them up, you'll find there's nine. And this is called the city with nine gates. And the capital of that city is the heart. So what we keep in our heart will direct us in our life because that's where we keep all our hopes and dreams in our heart. And spiritual life really means to have a change of heart. And it means to invite Krishna to come, please sit in my heart. You direct me. Now I'm making you the master. No longer will I put my hopes and dreams up for being the beacon in my life, but you and your instructions. And then he goes on to say in the next verse, Oh, my Lord Garunga, please show your mercy to this lowly, destitute soul. O oh Lord, there is no one more fallen than myself within the three worlds. So these are not platitudes, but actually a person who's advancing in spiritual life experiences what's called dainya or utter humility and feels to be fallen. Even, he or she, even as he or she is becoming more responsible about performing spiritual duties and also developing integrity. There's this actually relishable feeling of being fallen. Then the next verse, he says, if you do not give your mercy, seeing how fallen I am, then why are you known as Patita Pavana, the merciful savior of the fallen? So Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu 
is the most merciful. And how merciful is he? He saves those who have no other shelter, who are considered to be destitute, the most fallen. And so here he's saying that I am that. I am the most fallen. And so if you don't save me, you're going to have to change your name. You can no longer claim to be Patita Pavana, the f- savior of the most fallen. You'll, you'll, you'll have to admit that you didn't save the most fallen because you didn't attend to me. And finally, oh my dear, oh, not, not finally, penultimately, I am plunged amidst the violent hurricane-stricken waves in the ocean of this material world from which there is no escape. Kindly give me the gift of your divine lotus feet, which are compared to a boat in which your servant may cross over the ocean of birth and death. And finally, O oh my dear Lord Garanga, Nartam Das, the servant of the servant of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, ceaselessly makes this prayer. So, those who want to advance in spiritual life can consider themselves not directly the servants of Garanga Mahaprabhu, but the servants of the servants of the servants. And this is like a connectivity through a copper wire. The mercy of Krishna flows through his devotees. And when we become the servants of his servants of his, and the servants of those servants, we are connected with that energy that comes from Gauranga Mahaprabhu. Gauranga Karuna Koro Ami Dinahina Jane Gauranga Karuna Koro Ami Dinahina Jane Gauranga Karuna Koro Ami Dinahina Jane Unakoro ami dinahina jane. Mosamo patita prabu nahi nahi tribuvane. Mosamo patita prabhu nahi tribuvane. Mosamo patita prabhu nahi tribuvane. Karuna koro ami dinahina jane. Yoranga karuna koro ami dinahina jane. Mosamopatita prabhu nahi tribuvane.
Dante Trina Dori Gora Daki He Tumara Dante Trina Dori Gora Daki He Tumara Pakori so ama rido yamandire. Pakori so ama rido yamandire. Goranga karuna koro dina hina jane Goranga karuna koro dina hina jane Jari doya nakoribe patita de kia. Jari doya nakoribe patita de kia. Tita Pavana Nama Kisera Lagia Patita Pavana Nama Kisera Lagia Goranga karuna koro amidina hina jane. Bosama patita prabhu nahi tribuvane. Bava to Pane Nahika Nistara Bava 
Bodhicibhavaptupane Nahika Nistara Shicharatarani Dane Dasikoropara Shicharatarani Dane Dasikoropara Goranga Karuna Koro Amidina Hina Jane Bosama Potita Prabhu Nahi Tribuvane Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Dasaranudasa Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Dasaranudasa Pratanakara isada naratamudasa Pratanakara isada naratamudasa Goranga Koruna Koro Amidina Hina Jane Musamopatita Prabhu Nahitri Bhuvane Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. 
Nithai Gaur Haribo 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 Nithai Gaur Haribo Nithai Gaur Premanande Haribo That's definitely cathartic when we are able to just open our hearts to Krishna and say, look, I blew it. I'm completely fallen. I have no other shelter. That's all that's necessary, ultimately, because if somebody sincerely calls out to Krishna, please help me, even if they don't pronounce the words properly, if the feeling's there, then Krishna responds because Krishna doesn't have the defect of impersonality. He's a person, and he's fully aware of all of his creation, what to speak of his parts and parcels, intimately connected. And he's always eager to hear our words of service and surrender. So that is one of the ways to make rapid advancement in devotional services by singing the songs of the Mahajans. And then we also imbibe the feelings that they had. And especially, I noticed that the devotees who have already sung these songs in, in various environments, like we sang this song in Jagannath Puri a few years in a row uh, with Madhavananda Prabhu, who had been singing it for a long time. And uh, it gets sweeter each time you sing it. My friend, I think in sixth grade or something like that, he told everybody he wanted a, there was a pop song that was popular and everyone gave him that same record. Back in the old days, boys and girls, music used to come on a little vinyl disc. Don't freak out. And then he got seven of them, the same song. And what could he do? It was, and not only he got tired of listening to one disc, he couldn't listen to them all. But when you listen to transcendental songs, it just gets better and sweeter. So I did notice that the devotees who had been at Jagannath Puri and sung, singing the songs, some of them in here in the front row, were really um, emoting spiritual feelings because the song gets in you and this creates a kind of uh, impression, and that's the type of impression we want, and that's why bhakti yoga is so powerful, because it goes by taking in the emotions of the spiritual world coming from the great souls, and emotion is passed down through sound vibration. Sound carries consciousness. So it's a real, real miracle that we can actually take advantage of that, and and bathe in those emotions of the spiritual world just spontaneously by hearing these bhajans. Don't you think? Yes. 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 Okay, four or five of you think like that. Yes. Yes. All right. So now I'm going to tell you a story. Do you like stories? Yes. Okay. Well, once there was a king, and his name was Prachinaparishat. And this king was a great king. He came in the line of Dhruva Maharaj, his offspring were the Prachetas, who were quite famous because they had gone off to perform 
severe austerities for the sake of realizing the absolute truth. What kind of austerities did they perform? Severe. <laughs> that includes uh, going underwater for 10,000 years. Now someone may say that's impossible, but I mean, fish do it. And yogis can too. When they exhibit some or develop mystic powers, they can live in all kinds of places. We've seen it even in the modern age, but back then, uh, many millennia ago, these prachetas stayed underwater for, for 10,000 years. Of course, that was during Satya Yuga when people lived for 100,000 years. So what percentage of that is their life, of their life? 10% only. You have to put only at the end. Rupees only. <laughs> Rupees 100 only. Comma only. So comma only, 10,000 10, years only, is, uh, is what they gave. And Srila Prabhupada mentions in his commentary to this, uh, if someone's able to give at least 10% of their life, to spiritual practice, then they can attain perfection. Of course, we would like to give 100%, but at least give 10%. Uh, don't, don't be miserly. Kripana means somebody who takes something that's really valuable and then they just waste it. They get an inheritance and they end up spending it on milkshakes and cars that they run into the ground and assets that depreciate. They don't put in any appreciating assets or anything like that. They don't make anything from it. So the human, the human life is extremely valuable. So King Prachinabari was, was a famous person and, and a big king. And his sons went off for self-realization and then there he was in his kingdom. Kings have free time on their hands because they have a lot of people serving them and so forth. So back then, <clears throat> one of the ways that kings occupied their time was to perform yagya, special kinds of yagya, which uh, are listed in the Vedas as those which help us in our next life to go to a, a few floors higher in the universe. A few positions higher, a few notches, om bur bhuvaswa, go move up in the universe, because right now we're kind of in the middle. It's a, it's a good neighborhood for doing yagya, but for enjoying, it's not that great. So there is a process. This is mentioned in the Vedas, and Krishna doesn't recommend it, does he? Uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, in fact, Krishna specifically tells Arjuna, Trigunya vishaya veda, nistraigunya bhavarjuna, nirdhvanvo nityasattvasto, niryoga shema atmavan. Don't get involved in these Vedic processes to try to elevate yourself in the material world. Because it's, is, it is as aggravating as accumulating frequent flyer miles. If any of you have ever done that, because you fly and they treat you, put, they put a little rubber red carpet out so you can stand on it. And then if you uh, use up your miles, you don't get any more, then they look at you like, who are you? And in the universe also, there's a way in which you can accumulate punya, and you can elevate yourself. People who do that are called elevationists. They're trying to manipulate the laws of nature so they can move higher. And the king was doing that through sacrifices, which at that time involved 
sacrificing animals. And so, by good fortune, and partly because he, he was already a fortunate person coming from, uh, coming in the lineage of Dhruva Maharaj, he met Narada Muni. And Narada Muni is a well-wisher of everyone. He's a f free spirit. He travels everywhere simply distributing mercy. And so when he saw the condition of the king, King Prachinabari, he saw that he was wasting his human form of life trying to get sense gratification, trying to get not only comfort, comfortable in this life, but even more comfortable in the next life, materially speaking. So he asked him, uh, what are you doing? What's your intention? Narada asked the king. And the king, almost immediately, in the presence of Narada Muni, admitted, because he was a great soul, he said, I'm entangled, very entangled in sense gratification. So Narada first showed him what would be the result of his yagyas. Because when you're doing karma, means you're, you're trying to make yourself more comfortable in the material world. You're going to get a little bit of the effect that you're looking for, but you can also get the opposite effect at the same time. You're going to be a mixed bag, which is what Arjuna realized at the battlefield of Kukshetra, that he was getting the opposite of what he was looking for. And that happens pretty much always. And so Narada was able to show the king a vision of all the animals that he had killed in sacrifice, waiting for him in his next life, this time with iron horns. And they were eager to pierce him with those horns in retribution for their being killed in sacrifice. And this, Narada pointed out, is the result of your fruit of work, of trying to get comfortable yourself. And this is what is pointed out in the beginning of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Ahastani sahastanam aparani chatushpadam palguni tatramahatam jivo jivasyajivanam. The nature of this world is, in order to live, I have to eat somebody else. Even vegetarians, they chop down all kinds of vegetables. And uh, even in the course of growing cotton, you kill lots of gerbils. They live in the field. They get ground up in those machines. And whatever you do, actually, even if you boil water, living entities are being killed. If you grind up the wheat, there's little critters in there. You breathe. Jivo jiva sujivana means that's the law in this world is one living being's food for another, and you have to pay for that. So it's a, it's a system here in the material world of debt or karma that one has to pay back. So trying to, to live and enjoy in this world means enjoying at the cost of others. And now that Prachinabharishat saw this by Narada's mystic potency, he was concerned, to say the least, and a little bit open. And I say a little bit because most people are a little bit open to instruction. Because I have my idea about what I'd like to do in this world. I have my plans. And even if they're not going so well, have you ever noticed, even if somebody has a little corner somewhere, even if it's an insignificant corner on a block somewhere with a tiny little house, at least it's their place. Prabhupada noticed once a homeless person in Howard Station 
and he was lugging along some half-burned firewood and a few other little items. And whether somebody's homeless and they have a few items in a shopping cart or somebody lives in the top of the, what's the biggest apartment building in San Francisco now? Probably you know all these things. The Fairmont. Okay, let's say you live at the top, the penthouse in the Fairmont Hotel, and you have a plasma TV set or something like that. <laughs> and a fishbowl or whatever it is. It's pretty much the same to somebody from a higher perspective. You're still a homeless person wandering through, passing through the world and thinking that I have something. And because I think I have something and I am something, it's very hard for me to listen and take instruction, and especially kings, because kings generally have yes men around them, and whatever the king says, people say, yes, that's very good, you're correct. That's why Prabhupada said sometimes they used to have jesters who would come and make fun of them, just to lighten the mood a little bit. So Narada being sensitive and being an, the expert carrier of the Lord's message, told a story to King Prachinabari. And the story is an allegory, and you'll notice, and one notices when one reads the story, it's actually about King Prachinabari shot. But he changes the name. And he says, look, I'm going to tell you about another king named Puranjana. Now, Puranjana means, Jana means a living entity. And Pura means the body, the city of the body, which I mentioned before. is something that caught my attention when I first read the Bhagavad Gita, and Krishna called the body the city of nine gates. I really like that a lot. That really puts things in perspective, doesn't it? I'm living in a city of nine gates. And so Narada really embellished that allegory of the city of nine gates. So he talked about a king, Puranjana. And Puranjana was basically lost. He was wandering around the world, wondering where to go. And he wanted to enjoy, but he couldn't find any place that was suitable for his enjoyment. Prabhupada, in his purports, compares this to the hippies. Now, all of you kind of missed the hippie era. <laughs> but there's a way in which many young people, around the time I was growing up, even from wealthy families, because there was an economic boom in America around the 50s and 60s, right after the Second World War, Industrial Revolution, everything was uh, looked like it was never going to end, and there was a lot of material facility, but still a lot of young people said, this doesn't uh, seem very good to us, we're leaving, and they had ended up, as Prabhupada noticed, sitting on the street in the Haight-Ashbury in New York and so forth, um, wandering from here to there, looking for some happiness. So Puranjana searched here and there, and he represents us, actually. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu mentions this, Brahmanda Brahmate Kon Bhagyavan Jeev, Guru Krishna Prasadi Pai Pakti Lata Beach. He says that we are wandering, we're wanderers, and we're going from one universe to the next, looking for something nice looking for a place to live. And you'll find if you drive down the 101 from here to Los Angeles, you'll, you may see little hamlets along the way. And it might cross your mind when you go, oh, maybe we could live there. That would be nice, right over the ocean. 
Or, you know, I see people all the time, they come to a holy place in India and then they say, yeah, we should live here, we should live there. There's always this sense, we want to live somewhere, but really it's impossible to stay any, any place in this material world. We're always getting pushed on. So Paranjan is wandering, looking for a place to be happy. Saw suddenly, one day, a beautiful city south of the Himalaya, and it was called Bart Varsha, the place that he felt upon seeing it could fulfill all his desires. So he came into that city, which was adorned with beautiful parks and lakes, and there were birds and bees, and there were beautiful dwellings with spires that were made of gold and silver and copper. And when he went into that city, he saw a park. And he entered into the beautiful park and he was walking alone and then he saw the most beautiful woman he had ever seen in his life. And she seemed to be just loitering there. So he, being a great hero and single, approached her and said, uh, where are you from? Where do you come from? What is, your, what is your business in life? And she said, I don't know where I come from. And I don't know where I'm going. All I know is here and now. All I know is that there are bees and birds and lakes, and you're here. And we're here together now. That's all I know. So Narada explains later that this woman represents the intelligence of this world, the material intelligence, which says, oh, here's a nice place. Let me stay here and enjoy. I'm not thinking about where I'm going because I really don't know. How can I say what's going to happen tomorrow? How can I say when I'm going to leave my body? How can I say where am I going to go when I leave my body? And I really have no idea where I came from. But I do know that right now, I feel like enjoying the world. And I can do that because I have facility to do so. Now the woman had with her 10 servants, very strong. And each one of the servants had hundreds of wives with them. And Narada explains, explains later that these 10 servants represent the 10 senses that every one of us have. We have five set of five working senses and a set of five knowledge-gathering senses. Like the legs, these are working senses. The arms, working senses. The eyes are an example of knowledge-gathering senses. And these come as, as a gift. And the hundreds of wives from these servants are the objects of the senses of the world. If you start multiplying them out, they're hundreds, thousands, combinations, permutations, it goes into the millions when you consider all the different varieties. Just like when I was a kid, there was 
three kinds of ice cream, and that was it. <laughs> that was chocolate, strawberry, and vanilla, until Baskin Robbins opened up. <laughs> and that was a revel the revelation of the century as far as we kids were concerned. Baskin Robbins, was it 31 flavors? I can't remember. 31? 31 only. And we couldn't believe our good fortune to be on the planet at the time when there were 31 flavors of ice cream, including peanut butter and jelly bean and so forth. And this is the feeling that a conditioned soul has when he or she looks around the world and sees the combinations and permutations, the three spires that I mentioned in the city, the copper, the silver, the gold, these, Narda explained, are the three modes of material nature, sattva, which is goodness, rajas, which is passion, and tamas, which is darkness, ignorance. These mix together in the material world, Krishna says. And they, they make various flavors for us to enjoy. It's actually the same thing, just repackaged over and over again. This is something that those who are self-realized see for themselves. That's as an example, what Prahlad Maharaj said when he says, punak punas charvita charvananam, you may think there's all kinds of varied enjoyment in the material world, but it's really the same thing over and over again. It's just repackaged in a different container, but you're getting basically the same kind of experience. And it's really no enjoyment at all because we're only enjoying the idea of enjoying that I will enjoy because it takes place with on the screen of the mind. So I'm not actually able to fully embrace, touch, or keep any of the sense enjoyment that I'm getting here. I just see it on the screen of, the, of my mind. And sometimes I enjoy and sometimes I suffer. And to a self-realized person, these experiences are equal because they're both sensory perception on the mind. In fact, Vidura explained, or Maitreya explained to Vidura that when one suffers, it's like when you have a dream and you see some hooligan come and accost you and then chop off your head. And then you're watching your head drop to the ground and you're standing there watching your head on the ground. I said, how is that possible? Because your head's on the ground, the eyeballs are down there. They must be looking up at you, but you're looking down at them. He says, you're horrified, and you're looking and thinking, this is horrible, this is horrible, this is horrible. But how is it that you're looking and watching your own head severed from your body? And this is the experience, he said, of the disasters we undergo here in the material world, thinking, oh, this is horrible. We're seeing it on the screen of our mind, and we're imagining that I'm going through this. And it's similar with the so-called material happiness that we get in this world as well. And the king then proposes to this beautiful woman and says, you should become my queen. And we'll live together happily. In fact, she mentions it, that if we come together, we live a, a, a dharmic life as husband and wife, then we can pursue all kinds of happiness in this world. And so they, they do, 
uh, get married and live together and are enjoying the sense objects of the world. They're enjoying each other. And then one day, the king, influenced by an urge within his heart, goes off hunting in the forest. And this dark side of him comes out, where he's simply going through the forest, looking for all kinds of animals with his bows and arrows, and he's killing them one after another. Porcupines, elephants, deer, tigers. Just like in America, it's really popular. You get a big, powerful gun and go after an innocent animal, and from behind a bush, bang! <laughs> this is a kind of primal but very dark urge that's there from previous impressions, some scars, and this is what overcame the king. And Narda points out that no matter how dharmic a life one tries to live in this world, one will be overtaken at some time by these previous impressions that are there within the heart that push us to do things that are against the laws of nature, against our own intelligence. Remember how the queen represented the intelligence? So he goes against that. He goes off into the forest and he kills the animals. And there he also meets other women and spends time with them illicitly. And after some time, King Purunjana comes back to his palace. And he finds all of his servants morose. And he asks, uh, where's my wife? Where's the queen? And they say she's in the sulking room. Queens used to have a special room to sulk. <laughs> so he went there and found that she had taken off all, all her jewelry. She had left it aside. She was in a heap on the floor and completely morose and angry with him also. And when he meets her, he realizes his fault and he promises, I'll, I'll never do this again. So they go on with their lives and they have many children and they live to their full ex extent in this world and in the kingdom. And while they're enjoying, they don't notice something. And that is that Chandavega, who has with him 360 very powerful Gandharva soldiers, has approached the city and has begun to attack. What city is that? Really, it's the city of Paranjana, the city we all live in, city of nine gates. And how is it attacked? By cruel time. Actually, it's, it's really interesting how many, nobody ever notices this or thinks that it's weird, that one day I'm a little baby, or one day I'm a healthy young person running around a track as fast as I can go, knees pumping, arms lots of oxygen coming in, and then a few years later, I'm all wrinkled and old, and I'm 
bent over and I can barely go up a flight of stairs. You'd think someone would say, that's a little strange. Something's going on here. But everyone just says, well, that's normal. It's not normal, according to the Srimad Bhagavatam. It's not normal, according to the Bhagavad Gita. We're all eternal souls. Achedyo yam adhyo yam akledyo shosh evacha nitya sarvakatastanur acholo yam sanatanaha. We can't be burned, we can't be dried, we can't be withered. But we're identifying as Puranjana, we're all Puranjana, living in a little city and identifying with the body and thinking, this is me. And when I grow old, I simply accept it. This is Maya. So as Chandavega flowed into the city with his soldiers and began an attack, he overcame the king. And old age set in as he became crippled by the time factor. He finally withered and he left this body. And when he left, and this is a very important point, because in the beginning of the Srimad Bhagavatam, Shukadeva Goswami, answering Prikshit Maharaj's question, what's the purpose of life, says, Ante Narayana Smritihi. It's to remember God at the time of death. Now what happens to Puranjana is extremely important. Because in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, Yang yang vapi smaran bhavam tajat yante kalevaram tam tam kontaya saratad bhava bhavitaha. Whatever you culture in this lifetime, it, it actually forms your psychological body. The kind of association you take, the kind of habits that we develop on a daily basis, it's shaping our psychological body. We have two physical bodies. One of them is a gross material body made of earth, water, fire, air. And then there's the subtle body, ether, mind, intelligence, and ego. And that body, how it's shaped inside, will actually begin to shape the outer body as well. Like you'll notice that people who are very depressed, they'll start to look like that. People are very happy, they're effulgent. Goodness radiates from, their, from all the gates of their body, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, from Satvaguna. But the most important point is that death can come at any moment and ask us to move out of the city unceremoniously. And whatever mood we've cultured, whatever habits we've developed, at that point, it's like musical chairs. You ever play that? And then it's like, wait a minute, where's my chair? We don't get to choose. Uh, Prahlad Maharaj points this out to his friends. Daivanetrena, it's, it's decided by a higher power. You don't get to say, like, I was born in California. I think I'll be born next time in uh, Granada Hills, wherever that is. Um, <laughs> by the sea and no you don't get to choose you're choosing now the way that i'm living my life now the kinds of habits that i choose for myself now 
are developing my psychological body. And Krishna says, Shariram Yadavapnoti Yachapyu Kramatishvara, Grihit Vaitani Samyati Vayur Gandham Ivashayat. Just like air, it takes on a certain quality according to what it passes through. And similarly, my psychological body, according to what I expose it to, what I listen to, what I look at, it makes a difference. And it forms it in that way. And when I leave this body, ukramantam stitam vapi bunjanam vagunan vitam vimunanana pashanti pashanti gyanachakshushaha. Those who have eyes of knowledge, who have cultivated self-realization in this lifetime, they can see what's happening. But those who are vimuna, they're very foolish. They don't know what's happening. It becomes a bewildering experience. So Paranjana was attached to his wife. He was attached to all the sense objects of the world, his children, his possessions, his bank balance, which means that you get to look at a computer screen and think, here's what it is. And then when he left his body, he was fully absorbed in thinking of his queen. So he took birth as a woman in his next life named Paranjani. And you'll find that uh, the history goes on from there. He then gets married to someone else. But this is the rotation we're going through here in the material world. So Narada pointed out to Parchinabharishat that now's the time to take to the process of bhakti yoga. Engage your mind in thinking of Krishna and practicing the ninefold process of hearing, chanting, remembering, praying, worshiping the Lord, and so forth. Simple, but very powerful ways in which to always keep oneself engaged in devotional service. And if someone can do this throughout the various phases of their life, to stay engaged in the process of devotional service, keeping communion with Krishna through his holy names, through the Bhagavatam, and so forth, and transforming the psychological body by hearing transcendental sound vibration rather than material sound vibration. The, the subtle body actually becomes spiritualized. And therefore, Rupa Goswami says, if you live in Silicon Valley, but you take up the process of devotional service, if you live with a family, and you take up the process of devotional service in your family circle, then iha yasya harir dasye karmana manasagira even as you're living in this body, even as you're working somewhere in Silicon Valley, in a cubicle, is it? No more cubicles. They're banned now. Now you have to sit next to the person next to you and watch what they're doing. <laughs> Whatever it is. It doesn't matter where you live. Main point is, if you take this process of devotional service given by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then you'll be able, even in this life, in this body, to transcendentalize your psychological body. And when you leave this body, then you'll be able to think of Krishna. Vayuranilamamritam atedam bashmantam shariram the devotees thinking like this, let this temporary body be burnt to ashes, let the air of life be merged with the totality of air. Now, my Lord, please remember all my sacrifices. Because you're the ultimate beneficiary, please remember all that I've done for you. 
So this is a perfect opportunity we have to follow Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and to perform the practice of devotional service in our lives. So even though we're Puranjana, we're living entities that have somehow or other wandered into this city of the material world. And Prabhupada notes, nobody does this by accident. There's a choice made at some particular time. He makes that very clear. We can also make the choice internally that now I'm going to spiritualize my life. And don't wait too long because we don't have much time. Even if you extend the whole hundred years, Prahlad Maharaj said, and you take away the time that you sleep, which is considered to be, um, it doesn't count. <laughs> it's downtime. Uh, he says 12, 12 hours a day. Um, most people on the go here sleep six or seven or eight in Silicon Valley, isn't it? Eight hours? Six? Six or seven only. <laughs> then take that out of your 24. And you can also take out the time that you spend getting gussied up in the mirror. <laughs> Tending to all the mundane duties that you have to do anyway, obligated to do them. Just take that out. Then if you want, you can look at an actuary chart if you really want to get motivated and find out. Because the insurance companies, they, they really want to know when you're going to die. They want to predict as closely as possible when you're going to leave. So you can take their word for it that they're, they've looked into it carefully. You can answer their questions on the insurance form. If you smoke, you can take off an extra nine or ten years off your life. Uh, there's other habits that if, if you're doing. and Then you can tell, okay, let's see, I'm going to leave, live to 81, according to the actuary chart. And you take off your hours for sleeping, the hours for getting gussied up, and any other thing you can subtract that isn't directly engaged in some kind of spiritual practice, and you might find out, hey, I only have a few days left, all in total. Point is, take advantage of it, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave a simple process. Every day, wake up and spend time chanting Hare Krishna, repeat the Lord's names, it's the most potent process, and read the Bhagavad Gita and the Srimad Bhagavatam because that will transform you if you hear the Srimad Bhagavatam and the Bhagavad Gita and you won't be the same person. You'll start to develop spiritually from the inside out and your life will become transformed. So now we'll take a few reflections and questions because we just have 14 minutes left. And we'll just take a couple. Uh, Bali Mardan Prabhu. Krishna, welcome back, Prabhu. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, I think it was very good, uh, the explanations you are giving about the realizations that one should really come to sense by the example of Prachina Parishad and the Puranjana. But unfortunately, we are not coming to the senses because I am giving an example which Radha Govind Maharaj was pointing out one story from Srimad Bhagavatam that the King Bhartuhari, how 
he left and went to the jungle and they are practicing austerity. But in the bank of the uh, Godavari's, after taking bath, there is a two nails where they put their lungis. So two of them, they are fighting, that is mine, you put it, and the other guy is fighting, that is mine. So both of them are king. They left and came to the forest and doing austerity. So old lady came and she told, look, King Bhartuhari left the king and renounced it. And the two guys are, you know, you are fighting for this. <laughs> then they came to sense, oh, I am King Bhartuhari, I am coming here. So we will come, basically, somebody reminds us, one time, two times, multiple times, then only come to senses. So maybe King Prachinavarshad was very fortunate to get instruction from Narada, and we are fortunate here to get instruction from you, so we should pray that we all should come to the sense of self-realization. Thank you, Bali Prabhu. The, the allegory is a very powerful way of learning. The Bhagavatam speaks to us in various tones, and when we're hearing stories, I know when I was a kid and I'd go to school, and this teacher said, now we're going to hear a story. I was all in. And this is what the Bhagavatam does for us also. It tells stories that appeal to our sense of imagination. And as we're opening our minds uh, and our imagination expands, then the, the lessons go in deeply. One of the other lessons that Narada gave was he described in the allegory how within the city and in the, the capital of the city, which is the heart, lives a friend. And he called Avigyata. And this friend is our unknown friend, which is remarkable because it's Krishna. He's there within the heart. And he's our best well-wisher. He points this out in the Bhagavad Gita. And he's always there to assist us and help us in any way. But somehow or other, even though he's my best well-wisher and he's the closest one to me, I've forgotten him. So he's called Avigyata. And Narda points out that you only need to reactivate your relationship with the un your unknown friend by turning your face towards him and giving attention and expressing your desire that now I'd like to turn myself around. Even if it seems impossible, if you put that prayer then Krishna will help. There was another reflection after Bali. Okay, one, two. Hare Krishna Prabhu, thank you for the class. I have a question regarding Narada Muni showing the vision of animals punishing King Prachini Bharishat in the next life. So, what I have read in Prabhupada books that if the animals are sacrificed using proper Vedic mantras, they get a new body and they are elevated. But from this description of uh, or the vision which Narad Muni showed, uh, how to reconcile the two ideas? Hare Krishna. point is, be careful of legal sense gratification. Be careful of illegal or legal sense gratification because there's, there's always a problem with it, somehow or other. Only, only pure devotional service doesn't have a reaction. Devarshi, Bhutatnandarinam, Pitarinam, etc. There's a way in which when we try to engage in the material world, either through the Vedic process or illicitly, there's going to be some problem. This comes out in the story of King Nriga. King Nriga perfectly followed the process of karmakanda. He knew what he was doing. But he still blew it. 
because the material nature is unpredictable. It's willy-nilly. Anything can happen. It's like, but I set it up perfectly. Yeah, but you blew it anyway. So that's why devotees come to this point of not depending on karmakanda. And they simply say, Krishna, I'm just going to depend on you. And I'll do whatever you say. That's buddhi yoga. Buddhi yoga means that I'm giving up my own stake in the material world because somehow or other I'm going to be burned. And it's, it's silly. It's like drinking pots of poison, says one of the great acharyas. So licit, illicit, whatever there is, the, uh, material uh, arrangements, they have their downside. They always go sideways. So be very, very careful. Hare Krishna. Yes, Prabhu. Thank you very much for this allegory for City of Nine, nine Gates, Prabhu. Um, I was thinking in this city, um, the mind is not really mentioned. Uh, it is, but I didn't mention all the details. There's, a, there's quite a bit of description about the details of the city. And of course, Krishna gives this outline which reflects what's also taught in the Bhagavatam in this section. Indriyani prayanyahur indribya param manaha. Manasastu parabhutir yobhute paratastu saha. Lowest of all are the senses. Above the senses is the mind. Above the mind is the intellect, the buddhi. And above that is the soul. Now, when uh, the intellect is being purified by hearing shastra and hearing from the self-realized souls, then it helps us to control the mind. It's that, then we have deliberate spiritual intelligence, DSI. And when we have that, then we're able to direct the senses properly. Hrishikena, Hrishikesha. I engage myself in serving the Lord of the senses rather than trying to engage my own senses. And when the, the capital of the intelligence gets overtaken by material desire, then I'm in real trouble. Because then you get what's this full-blown material civilization where you're using this very subtle sense that we have inside the intellect to figure out how to enjoy more in the material world. And it really gets out of hand. And if you haven't noticed it, take a look around California or the material world in general that it's gotten out of hand. At least that's my perspective. And so uh, we have to be careful because the intellect is the next-door neighbor to the atma or the self. And when we purify the atma through the process of devotional service, we'll purify, pardon me, the, the intellect, then the intellect itself becomes our shiksha guru. This is buddhi yoga. The intellect itself is our shiksha guru. It's directing us properly because it's reflecting the shastra and I'm following the words of the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna, excuse me, Prabhupada in his purport in the second candle of the Bhagavatam calls the Bhagavad Gita the Vedic intelligence. So that's why you have to read Bhagavad Gita every day, otherwise you'll be lost. And Krishna says that in the 18th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. If you go on your own in this world and you just try to follow your contaminated intelligence, you're going to go way off. And it's going to be a disaster. But if you follow me, he says, then I'll save you. Then you'll be saved by it. So you have to read and hear Bhagavad Gita every day, otherwise you're in for... A world of hurt, as they say somewhere here in America. Okay, well, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us for the Sunday program here at Silicon Valley. 
please um, like and share. And uh, tell all your friends that uh, this is actually, it's not just a Sunday church. It's a, a way of life that we're teaching here based on the Vedic scriptures, and anybody can do it. Remember that human life is an opportunity. And when you add spiritual sadhana, a bona fide spiritual practice to human life, you get a situation where you can attain unlimited amounts of happiness. But if you just try on your own, you won't get it. So take advantage while you can. Thank you very much.